Well, let's get a Bible this morning. Um, hopefully you have one, or if you don't, one in front of you in, in the pew. Um, for those of you, because I haven't introduced myself, because I see a few guests I don't, I don't know or recognize. For those of you who I have not said hello to, I'm Pastor Aaron Fesenmeyer, and um, that's all I need to say right now. We need to get in God's Word. So I just want to say hello, welcome, and let's get into God's Word. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50 this morning. And we are looking at glimpses of a servant, the servant, who the prophet, who the Lord through the prophet Isaiah said would come to reach our deepest needs, to be our light. And Isaiah spoke to this nation of Israel several hundred years before Jesus ever came on the scene. But he told them what they should look for when they look for the servant. And that's what he's telling us this morning, what we should look for. So as we turn there, um, speaking of looking for, I want to share a, uh, a story with you. Um, some time ago, my family and I took a trip to Minnesota. And if you've ever been in Minnesota, you know, or if you've not, you know, it's called the land of 10,000 lakes, right? It is not like here. And here's one of the ways it's not like here. I grew up in a small town, kind of like York, where the streets go north and south, east and west. It is awesome that they are like that. You can get around, you can learn quickly, and you can know the fast ways to various things. Guess where that's not like? Guess where that's not happening? Minnesota. All the roads follow every single one of those 10,000 lakes. So my family and I, we fly in, we get out, we get out of the airport in a rental car. <laughs> I can't see any major landmarks to help me get my bearing of north, south, east, west, anything. And the road immediately curves, going somewhere into the trees. And I am at a loss. Now, there are two things that I could do at that moment, right? One is I could t- adopt the stereotypical macho approach to finding my way. I don't need no stinking directions. I will find my way, thank you very much. And guess what would happen? My family would all be miserable. We would be by the Great Lakes over by Michigan or Ohio or somewhere over there. And we'd never find our hotel. And we'd probably be hungry, starved, and the whole trip would be ruined. There's another option, though, and God provides the grace for it. You know what it was? It was a voice. You know what the voice was? Turn left on such and such avenue, then head right toward the interstate. Ah. (laughs) And we made it to our destination. Everybody was fed. Nobody was cranky. And nobody had to say to dad, dad, just listen to the directions. So listening to the right voice got us to our destination. Not listening to myself, listening to the right voice got us to our destination. So here's a question this morning as we open God's word. Whose voice are you following? Life has been called a lot of things, one of which is it's called, similarly, a road. 
And there are all sorts of turnoffs, roundabouts, overpasses, underpasses, bypasses. And eventually, it gets to a fork in the road where one way leads to everything being made right. Life forever. And the other way, the other part of that fork in the road leads to forever death and forever pain. And right now, and in your week coming up, there are going to be billions, I'm not kidding you, billions of voices that are going to be telling you which way you should go. And there's only going to be one of them that will help you get to the right way, to the destination that we were all supposed to make, make it to. Well, whose voice is that? And what must we do with that voice? We must follow the voice of Jesus Christ. So, would you stand with me as we listen and hear him speak this morning in Isaiah chapter 50, beginning in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has, God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a gar garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You may have a seat. So why should we listen to Jesus' voice out of all those voices that come at us? What are some reasons that this voice, Jesus' voice, is the, is the voice that we should listen to and keep on listening to instead of others? Well, the first reason is that Jesus followed his Father's voice. He followed God's voice. Because he says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who taught, are taught, Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear. The Lord has opened my ear. He followed God's voice. And what happened when he did? What does this passage say that happened when he did? Well, first, um, it's awesome. He was given life-giving words. 
The Lord God has given me, verse 4 says, the tongue of those who are taught. Now, just to clarify, those who are taught are, is, are those who have sat under teaching. Those who have taken the time and faithfully listened. And Jesus says that that's about him. That he faithfully listened and sat under his father, listening to everything that he has said. And then what does it say that he, he's able to do with that? that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Anybody weary this morning? Anybody tired of trying to sort through all those billions of voices? Even the ones internally? Why is Jesus why did Jesus come? To sustain with a word those who are weary. What did he say to anxious and weary people? And what does he say to us today? He said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, what? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was given life-giving words. And we as his church, anybody want to be a part of a church where that's the modus operandi? Where that's what we seek for? To be with us, those who are taught by God so that we can sustain one another with a word when we're weary and it's hard to keep running the Christian life, the Christian race, hard to stay on course, hard to stay on track. Most people, when that's happening, are not looking for someone to take a club to their shins. What they're looking for is for somebody to say, keep going, Jesus did. Keep going, he will sustain you. Keep going, the Holy Spirit's not done in you yet. And that's what Jesus is given when he followed God's voice. What else happened? Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to, uh, to hear as those who are taught. And then it says this, the Lord God, this is verse 5, look it with me. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, and I turned not backward. Okay, what is going on here? When God speaks... What, would, what in the world would cause Jesus to even say that it might be possible to be rebellious against God's word? To turn away from God's word? Something hard. Something really hard. Because what happened when Jesus followed his father's voice is he was not only given life-giving words, he was given unbelievable suffering. Because look what it says. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. And where did he go? I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. (laughs) 
we're in, the, we're in first world America. We want, and I think it's true across the world, but we, even more so, we want a pain-free existence. We are risk-averse to pain. Like we have medica- all sorts of medications that alleviate pain, that reduce pain. And I'm not saying those are bad things. Those are good things. Those are graces of God. But let me ask you, if God said, hey, I want you to listen to me. I'm going to give you this amazing ability to build other people up. And guess what? You're going to suffer as well. How does that sell with you? Sounds like a sweet deal, God. (laughs) You know the saying, no pain, no gain? That's not always true but it is definitely true with Jesus Christ. Because this text doesn't say it, but the rest of the Bible does, says this is not meaningless. God never commands anything that's meaningless. So when God commands his son to endure this kind of suffering, and this kind of suffering, by the way, in first century Judaism, is absolutely shameful. You think of the worst, most embarrassing thing that you could ever happen to you, where everyone would be, everyone would be on the outside going, ha, 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 don't go near that guy or that gal. You think of that, that's what this is for Jesus. That's what this is for a Jewish man in the first century. Where his back is struck, his cheeks are given to those who pull out the beard, and he hid not his face from disgrace and spitting from utter rejection. But the rest of the Bible tells us that the worst suffering, because it was truly unjust for Jesus, I mean, what was his crime? He obeyed God. We're all supposed to obey God and the rest of us don't because of sin. The one guy who does perfectly gets this, what we deserve. It is truly unjust, but what does it result in? It results in the greatest gain. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says it this way, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's the gain, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And if we look at the life of Jesus, this is exactly what happened to him the night he was betrayed, the night he was run through a completely ridiculous trial, and then crucified. He followed God's voice. And make no mistake, people, brothers and sisters, friends, when we follow God's voice, It is not all sunshine and roses. And if you've been on the road long enough, you know that. But don't lose heart because Jesus has gone there before you. We should follow the voice of Jesus Christ. He not only gains from this in following his Father's voice, something else happens. And that's where we look to next. Because not only did 
Jesus follow his father's voice, Jesus outlasts the voices of his enemies. At the end of verse 9, it says, Behold, all of them, all these enemies, will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Jesus outlasts the voice of his enemies. So here's the question. How does he do it? How do we persevere in line with Jesus? How do we rely on Jesus? How can we trust Jesus' voice that he has outlasted his voices of his enemies? Well, first, look what it says. God helps him endure. He says it twice. Verse 7, verse 9. Behold, the Lord God helps me. You will not endure unless the Lord God helps you. We were designed to be with him. Actually, in many cases in the Bible, Jesus is, God is called our helper. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. And he will help us outlast the enemies of God. God helps him endure, and not just help him endure the enemies, he helps him endure disgrace and shame. You see this in verse 7? Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Maybe you have experienced this in your own marriage, but it is very, very, very difficult to keep going with your spouse when you are convinced that they're after your shame rather than your good. Anybody else? Anybody know that? And this is kind of typical, typically falls out in two ways. A man will walk away from a conflict if, he, if he's convinced that his wife is shaming him. And then she will in turn think that he's being unloving by walking away and thus is shaming her. Do you know what happens if they know or are convinced that they're not after shame? Or do you know and are convinced that it's not about what they think, but what about what God thinks? That he is not after your shame, he's after your vindication, he is after your help? It will help you stay in and help the other person. It will help you endure. It will help you to stand firm. It will help you to stand fast and not walk away, not throw in the towel, not call her quits, whatever it is, whether it be marriage or something else. God helps him endure. And we rely on him for that. Secondly, God vindicates him. If we would be following the most worthless Savior in the world ever, if at the end of all of it we said, we found out that God's like, yeah, he was wrong. Jesus was wrong. But that's not what happens. Jesus even challenges it. He says, he who vindicates me is near, verse 8. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Jesus said this to Pharisees 
If you remember in the Gospel of John, he said, I'm here to do the will of my Father. If any of you can accuse me of wrong, point out the wrong. And none of them did. He perfectly follows God, and therefore God vindicates him. And we need this. Because if we were to stand in this spot and say these same things, who will contend with me? Who will contend with you, Aaron? (laughs) Too many people. And rightly so. Who would declare me guilty? Everyone, including Satan. And he would be right. But the beauty is is that because Jesus is vindicated, therefore, as Romans 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We trust in his vindication, not our own. And he will vindicate us through him. He vindicates him and he promises that all enemies are temporary. We will not always have to fight the spiritual battle, church. We will not always have to face the sin in others erupting the sin in us. We will not always have to face that. Because the enemies like death, sin, Satan, the world that is opposed to God, what happens? All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. We don't have to endure that forever. But let's keep going while we do. Because Jesus outlasts the voice of his enemies. He's not just the one who followed his father's voice, though. And he's not just the one who outlasts the voices of his enemies. This passage tells us, thirdly, that Jesus is the voice of the rescuing Lord. Look with me in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? That's the question for us today. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? And if you say, yes, I do, I think I do, what does the rescuing voice of the Lord say? He says, trust me. Trust my voice. Who among you fears the Lord? And this is, kind of, this is not the kind of fear that is like terrifying that drives you away. This is the kind of fear and healthy reverence that draws you close. That God is a God who, yes, can condemn, can do anything he wants, but yet has revealed himself in Jesus Christ to be You can come to me, and I will never ever, as we studied in Sunday school this morning, I will never ever cast out if you come to me. What does he say? Trust my voice. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? That's what trust is. 
obeying him, obeying his voice. And this is what he commands. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Now that can be understood two ways. If you do not yet trust the, the Lord, do not yet believe in his name, you are in darkness. This isn't the only passage to kind of point that out. But if you are in darkness and Jesus comes as light, he's going to tell you, come to the light. Trust the light. You are not made for darkness. You are not made to remain in your sins, but you will remain in your sins if you do not come to the light. But there's also a second one for, all, for those of us who do say that we believe and fear the Lord. Put it this way. What does he say? Does he say, you who fear God and obey the voice of his servant, rely on your spiritual gifts. Rely on your own spiritual growth as a Christian. Does he say that? No, that's like trusting the steering wheel when your tires are flat and you're out of gas. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God. And he even gives a specific circumstance in which we we can, can and must do it. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. There are going to be seasons in your life. Maybe now, maybe you've just come out of, maybe you've come out of one, maybe you're going into one. Well, your spiritual growth happens best when God might feel distant, when things might feel dry, when things might feel dark, and that all of your life has just gone belly up. In those moments, what does he say? Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God. But the rescuing Lord also says something else. He also says, don't trust your own voice. Look with me in verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. What is he saying? Jesus came as the light of the world. And there are those, perhaps even in this room, who believe that they can solve their lightless problem by their own efforts by just lighting a torch. Ha-ha, we got you beat, God. I got my own torch. Don't need your light. Don't need you telling, telling me that I'm a sinner. Don't need you telling me that I need to repent. I got my own light. That's trusting your own voice. He doesn't tell you to come to the light to repent of your sins because he hates you. He tells you to come to the light, repent, believe his gospel because he loves you. We were designed to listen to his voice anyway. 
I mean, that's one of the key failures in the book of Genesis. Right at the beginning, God spoke and it was. God told Adam and Eve what to do, what not to do. And what happened? Things went totally wrong when what? They listened to other voices. They first listened to the voice of the serpent, which says, you shall not surely die. You'll be like God if you eat the fruit. And then they listened to each other's voices because they handed each other the, the, the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And then they listened to their own voices because they tried to justify their actions before God. Well, this woman that you gave me, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Even though it was true, it was pawning off responsibility. That's trusting your own voice. Don't do it, God says. God says, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God, who is Jesus Christ. Because he warns, he says, if you walk by the light of your own fire, if you choose to chart your own path, if you choose to equip yourselves with burning torches, this you have from my hand. You don't, you don't get away with it. It's not like you light a torch do your own thing and God doesn't care or God can't do anything. What that is, is what Jesus didn't do. It's rebellion. And God, being just and holy, must punish rebellion. And he will do it one of two ways. He will either have done it at the cross where Jesus took your rebellion on himself or he will do it on you when you're just holding your own torch, doing your own thing. You shall lie down in torment. The church these days doesn't talk a whole lot about hell. Jesus talked about it more than anybody. And why do you do it? Because he doesn't want us to go there. He doesn't want us to just hold our own torch and be like, ha, 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 and burn. He wants us to listen to his voice. To let go of those things that are lifeless and hold on to him which is life. Who is life. Jesus is the voice of the rescuing Lord and we should follow the voice of Jesus Christ. So when the spiritual GPS tells you, turn right toward Christ. Do it. Don't go driving off thinking that you can get your, find your own way. Trust this rescuing Lord. Keep trusting him. He hasn't failed anyone, and he will not fail you now. He will sustain you who are weary with a word so you can keep going on the road that you were meant to go on to get to where we all long and eagerly desire to be. Free. Fully free. At peace with God. At peace with other people. No longer having to deal with sin in our hearts or sins of other people. Forever with God. In joy and life as it was truly meant to be lived forever. We should follow the voice of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.